If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Ross Knoll Vineyard Wines is a female-owned company which produces artisanal Pinot Noirs from exceptional vineyards in the Russian River Valley, handcrafted by winemaker Justin Seidenfeld. I recently had their 2021 Vintage Rosé, and I thought it was fantastic. Go to rossknollvineyard.com and discover their rare production, a 2021 Mount Eden clone white Pinot Noir. Also, Join their waitlist for the 2021 Pinot Noir, which is presently aging in barrels and will be released later this year. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It is your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is radio and music industry powerhouse Sharon Daster. Sharon served as Senior Vice President of Programming for the world-famous iHeartRadio's Z100 New York radio station for 20 years. Uh, she is one of five people that have held that position in the history of the station and the only female. She has transformed brands, created popular culture, and has helped guide the careers of some of the biggest artists in the world, including Taylor Swift, Shawn Mendes, Dua Lipa, Ed Sheeran, Katy Perry, the Jonas Brothers, Ariana Grande, and more. She has won accolades across the entertainment industry, including the prestigious annual Billboard Women in Music list for the last 10 years, the Elle Magazine's Women in Music Power list, and Women in Music, the top 50 most powerful executives in the industry, just to name a few. Uh, Sharon is a passionate wine lover who's always learning more, and she has got some great stories to tell. Welcome, Sharon. Hi, MJ. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good. Anything else you'd like to add to that uh, pretty impressive short list of your accomplishments? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just to be clear to everyone, because I've listened to your podcast, and it's so fantastic. You've had some of my idols on that I'm not a wine professional, just a wine lover, and I'm here to have some fun. So I just wanted people to be clear. When you hear me questioning things or not understanding things, it's because I just, I'm learning every single day. Well, you know, that's interesting you said that because we have had two masters of wine on here, (laughs) and they both have said um, they're still learning. So, you know, 
and I'm not, you know, this is not the wine expert show. <laughs> this is the dope as fuck. I want to drink wine with exactly. cool people show. So uh, I'm so glad you're here. I, and, uh, you know, uh, Sharon and I met through Instagram. And this is one of those things where social media works really well. Uh, somehow, um, either you like something on one of my guest posts or they liked your posts and, or, or, and like I, you know, I went through her feed like we all do. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, she not fucking around. Look at what she drinks. <laughs> Look at her food. I was like, and so, um, <clears throat> so I started following her and then like so many, like 95, now nah, 98%, 99% of the guests on the show sent her an Instagram DM and, uh, she was psyched to come on the show uh she followed me back she's got a little blue check and i was all excited <laughs> she followed me back um so i'm really excited you're here and i'm ready to just let's 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 yeah. talk about my like my passions like my thing was um was music and wine mm -hmm. like that's how i kind of started growing the black wine guy so for you to be here it's just you know super fun and exciting yeah i mean it just again the, all the incredible people you've had on and i think they're, some of them I have the most random connections to, so I feel like maybe that's how we connected on Instagram because, like you said, either I like their post or they like mine. And um, I mean, I've been very fortunate to not only meet or know some really fabulous people in the music industry, but when it comes to the wine world, I literally am giddy with excitement when I know that I'm going to either meet one of these people or see one of these people and it's 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 really fun to have that experience yeah i think that's um you know music and wine are so uh intertwined i mean you think of the terms like like uh i tend to use the word harmonious instead of integrated you know like a wine because it's like it's like a band right like uh all uh all music is noise but not all noise is music mm -hmm. right it has to come together and, and meld together and you know music and wine what do they have in common they bring people together they open people's minds um they inspire different moods and celebrations they trigger memories like big time you can i know that you know the first time you heard just about every song from your career like remember, you know when they walked in your office whether it was the demo exactly. right exactly. and then like when you have a wine like you're like you 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 know you have a wine and, and that first bottle that really takes you somewhere and then you go back and you try it again you and whatever it is, whatever the smell was, whatever it was, quince or green, you're like, oh, my God, I remember. The and that's what they do. They really anchor us and trigger things for us. Or, I mean, just I've become obsessed with pairing. And I know we can't do that all the time. But once, you know, I would start drinking wine and would enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, someone brings you that right dish that you take a bite and then you take a sip. And it's a completely different experience. And one of your guests was kind of that first memorable experience I had of pairing something with a, a glass of wine and then changing the whole dynamic of it. And that was John with, of John and Jane, yep. <laughs> Jane and John, Jane and Jack, yeah. um, at EMP. And, um, it was, it was one of those experiences I'll never forget. It was so great. All right. We'll get into that experience a little bit later. Yeah. Tell us about what we're drinking this, this afternoon. So I brought a couple of things. I know you did. <laughs> so right now we're enjoying um, a 2019 Sea Smoke Chardonnay. And for me, Sea Smoke just has that special connection for me from the music business to wine as one of the first ones that I really 
had tried at a charity event. So in in the, in the radio record world, um, a friend of mine started a, a an annual event, and she's like, "How do I get people together to help raise money?" But it's not a you know the normal rubber chicken and all that. She's like, "I know so many people in the music business, just like Eric said, Eric Jensen." Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, the music business, they're crazy about their wine, and they are. Yeah. And so uh, they, uh, my friend started an annual event called the City of Hope, and she made it a wine dinner. And people would sponsor the tables like like a typical uh, event. And someone, the ta- table I was at, someone had brought sea smoke. And it went around, and it was one of those ones that you saw everyone's head pop up going, oh, God, what is this? What is this? Yeah. Next day at the office, we're all Googling, how do we get sea smoke? How do we get sea smoke? You have to be, see, this was before I knew what, you had to be on the mailing, mailing list, list and all that. So then I'm like, I signed up. I'm like, okay, please let me get on the mail. It was the first mailing list I got on probably like 15 years ago. And I just, I think they make such beautiful, obviously their Pinot Noirs are great, but I wanted to bring one Chardonnay and one Pinot Noir. And speaking of Pinot Noir, um, I had listened to one of the podcasts, and one of your guests was talking about Carlo Mondavi, who produces Rain. He's of the infamous Mondavi family, and he's super cute. I don't know if you've seen Carlo Mondavi, <laughs> but he's married now to the, this lovely the Italian, Italian woman, woman who's making wine over in Italy with. But um, I had tried Rain about three, four years ago, and it was just incredible. And this bottle in particular, this Pinot Noir, is the Royal St. Robert and he has made it in honor of his grandfather, Robert Mondavi, which, so you see it on the bottle, mm-hmm. um, Royal St. Robert, but then if you look at the top, it says... Uh, Heart and soul. And then his initials, Robert Mondavi's initials at the oh, top. Oh, so, yeah, that, under the crown. Yeah. He's the king. Yeah, so, wow. So having his grandfather as his heart and soul of making his wine and the inspiration. So I just thought it was such a special bottle. It's a bit young. Um, because I'd run out, and so my my allocation had just arrived. So I hope you like it. But I, it was something that because you talked about it, I wanted to make sure I brought you some rain. Yeah, and uh, bring it's, the rain. She she brought the smoke and the rain. <laughs> the smoke and the rain. I didn't even think oh of that. Oh my god, I love it. Um. <laughs> uh, wow, I I love I love uh, the thoughtfulness of the bottles. So let's start at the beginning. Okay. Uh, where'd you grow up? So. Born a New Jersey girl, Teaneck, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Um, then the first 10 years of my life in Westport, Connecticut. Okay. So technically East Coast girl, but really then my dad got transferred down to run the division down in Texas in Houston. And so grew up in Houston. Um, two older brothers. Uh, I went to the University of Texas. At Austin? At Austin. Hook 'em horns. Hook 'em horns. <laughs> And, you know, I was one of those people that, you know, I got my business marketing degree, but I was always surrounded by music and honestly never thought of it as a career. I just, it was a passion. And I was a band geek. I played the clarinet. I was in the University of Texas Longhorn Marching Band. So every weekend, as you can imagine, Texas football, I performed in front of 100,000 people every Saturday in the stadium, around the state. So it was it was really fun. But, you know, obviously playing music, growing up, I went to every concert that came to Houston. It was the Summit, which no longer exists. That's where uh, Joel Olstein now does his uh, <laughs> services, is now the place that I grew up watching the Houston Rockets and going to every concert that would come to town. And, 
you know, it, it's fun. I know when people say, what's your favorite music? It's so fun having diverse tastes. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I found like an old wallet that had old ticket stubs. And I looked at it and I thought, how cool is it that I have in here, you know, Prince, Whitney Houston, Scorpions, Van Halen, Pat Benatar, Chicago. And, you know, it was just you love music. Yep. And that's that's why, you know, when we were talking earlier, I had mentioned I, I love Barbara Streisand because I think as a musician, I just love the purity of her voice and the range and the, the way she can sing and tell a story with her voice. It's, you know, it's, it's quite rare. I mean, there are some great singers out there and a lot of great pop artists, but it's more about the music and the lyrics and yes, there's some great vocalists, but to me still, there's, there's no one like Barbara. <laughs> I, I really love what you said. It made me think of like, like how you said she tells a story with her voice. That's what uh, Santana, there's lots of great guitarists, mm. but Santana would, he would sing with his guitar. Absolutely. You know, and, and it had a voice. It had a voice. Never yes. heard that. Like Eddie Van Halen and Santana oh, yeah, yeah, to me. Yeah. They, yeah. they really, um, so that's really cool. And, um, Austin is the it's the live music capital of the world. That's self dubbed. So you must have seen like some just incredible shows. Like you got Stubbs and you had all these little yeah, venerable I mean, venues. You probably saw people who like were little and now became huge even in college. Exactly. I mean that that's the beauty of Austin. You know, I I was living there when Austin was it was like pre Austin of what you know I, now. I know. So the it it's a small town, a small city. University Town, 6th Street with the music, but then you've got Lake Austin, just, you know, 20 minutes away. You've got the Greenbelt where it's, you know, you people ride their bikes and do all the stuff. You've got all this stuff in such a beautiful little city and then all the action from the university. So, yeah, I mean, we would go down to 6th Street and we'd hear music and, yeah, I'm sure I, I saw people that – Ended up becoming something, but again, imagine what you do on Sixth Street, and you know the the Shiner Box, and the, <laughs> you, know, you know whatever you did going down Sixth Street, and so you know you don't really remember, but you just remember having a good time. <laughs> but yeah, Austin is incredible, and like some of my best friends from college that still live there, it's incredible that they had bought a house, you know, soon after college, and now they could probably get ten times what they paid for it. I. I have a sim similar story. I, I went to law school, and there was this guy, Garth, who, who was from Texas, and he went to UT. And he's like, I know you're a, I know you're a New York guy, but I'm telling you, you got to go to Austin. <laughs> You'll love it. You'll love it. And this was like nine, in the mid-'90s, like 94, 95, when you could have went and bought a house in Austin for under 200K. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> like, I'm like, I wish I – I mean, I love my life, but like if you <laughs> looking at what Austin is now, yeah. like you said. Like, I mean, look at all the people that are moving down there. Oh, everybody's you know? moving down there. Matthew McConaughey, Joe Rogan, all, yeah. you know, all these actors and just because, you know, no taxes. No taxes, yeah. It's just beautiful. And, no, the, and the, the, I, South by Southwest. I didn't realize the first – like – Austin is being in the Southwest. Incredible weather. Not not nearly as hot as like Phoenix or, but like. Well, it gets hot. I know it gets hot. I've been in the summer, <laughs> but it's it is a dry heat for me. I don't know. Like like I can deal with one 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 oh five if it's not humid. For me, it's oh, humid. It's so humid, and you should see my hair when you get down there. <laughs> That's humid hair. Oh gosh, it gets it's so bad. But yeah, I mean, imagine. So when I was in the band, we would wear these wool. 
like yeah, a cowboy ban, hat, ban, ban uniforms, ban uniforms, <laughs> and imagine. So if it's a hundred outside on the field, it's like a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty. Oh yeah. So I'm surprised I never passed out, but it was uh, very hot. Yes. Um, what was as I went back to the band. What was uh, who was on the football team? Who who's like a pro now? Who was there when you were there? Oh gosh. I think just because I've kept up with the team so much, I honestly don't even remember who was there. That's good for you. It's like for me, like I, I turn on like sports, like I watch Super Bowl. I didn't know anybody. I was like, oh, these little kids, they're like, they're, <laughs> they're so young, <laughs> you know? I know. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I didn't go to a... big school like that where people just stay fans because it's just, and you're in the band. It's like it's the culture. Yeah, I mean, it's Texas culture. I mean, football through and through. People always, you know, ask me, oh, why? Yeah, it's so, you know, you're a girl, you're so into football. I said. You grow up in Texas, it's you it's a requirement. And also having two older brothers, I'm the only girl and the youngest, you know, I was always competitive. I always wanted to do what my brothers did. So, you know, I played all the sports, I did as much music as I could, I did all the dance classes. I I just wanted to try everything and and see what what I could what I could do. <laughs> the best. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you said, I think you mentioned earlier that you did major in business management and marketing, right? Mm -hmm. I said, right. See, I did it. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's punctuation and, in 2022. Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when did music really uh, begin to come into the picture? When I had one year left of school. I decided, okay, I, I've been doing all these different types of internships, tech companies, ad agencies, just trying to see what really felt right to me. And when I went back to Houston, I remember thinking, God, it would be so fun just to do a fun, you know, no stress internship. Let me call my favorite radio station and see if they're doing a, an intern program. And I happened to be driving by at that moment. And I, did I even have a car phone at the time? I guess I did. And I called and I said, do you, are you guys hiring any interns? I said, yeah, we're going to do interviews tomorrow. I said, well, I'm actually driving by right now. Is there any way I can stop by? I did. They hired me as the intern for the summer. And I just couldn't believe that people got paid to listen to music, pick music, put on concerts, talk on the radio. And it just, it was that life-changing moment being at that radio station so that when I went back to Austin, I asked them to hook me up with a radio station there for another internship, did that. And then when I graduated, I, you know, I had offers for different marketing jobs and, and regular jobs. But like I said, it's like once you see that there's this job that you can go to and you're surrounded by music and all you're doing is talking about music and what's best for the audience, um, I called the people that I had interned with and kept in touch with them. And that's one thing I always tell people, you know, always keep that communication. Keep your foot in the door. It's all about getting the foot in the door when you're starting out. And the fact that I kept in touch with them and, and was friendly with them, they called and they said, you're too overqualified for anything that we have right now. But if you want to just answer the phones and um, do that, make some pocket money while you're looking for your real job, go for it. And so I did. And then I just kept, I, I'm the type of learner that I observe things and I can kind of absorb and learn. And so I was doing that. They would bring me into meetings and I'd be like the only girl. And then what do you think of this song? Or, you know, what do you think of that artist? And I would just give my opinion. 
And because I was that target audience for the radio station, they would then do other things and say, Sharon, what do you think about this? Or should we put on this type of concert? Or, And they'd bring me into more meetings. Then a position became open, fell into that, kept growing and learning and learning. And then New York came a-calling for my boss, and uh, he he needed his support team with him, and he brought us up to New York. So there's a lot of... <clears throat> A lot of lessons in there for, for, for young people who want to be entrepreneurs. One, I love you were driving by and went and interviewed the day before, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and like I said, networking. I think people undervalue that. I think a lot of young people undervalue that. Like you just stayed in touch. And then also like they told you, were, you, know, you were overqualified. You said, well, if you want to do something, you'll, you'll do what you have to do to do it. So you could have been like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to answer phones. I can go make – 40k over here doing a marketing yeah. job and but you knew what you loved and 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 I I just there's just so much in that. And what was kind of fun as well was that I was answering the the phone the radio request line so it wasn't like the front desk. So I was talking to oh, wow. people that were excited about the artist or wanted to win a contest or had questions about it. So it was just like, hey, hi, 104 KRBE. And then they're like, hi, can I hear? Oh, I love that song. And they're like, I do too. You know, so it was just, it was just more like, almost like doing a podcast in a way, you know, it's like you're talking to people and you're just, you're having a good time for however many hours I was working. And then when my shift was over, I would just, you know, again, be present. And luckily I was surrounded by people that were open to wanting to help people learn and grow and that is very important too and that's yes. something i yes. learned early on and and continue to do as i grew in my career no matter what position i was in i always wanted to help someone whether they had questions or they wanted to sit in and observe something because like i said i felt like i learned a lot and absorbed a lot by just sitting back and watching things happen mm. and then slowly being able to do it yeah learning through osmosis yeah and when you said that, when you said, going back to that point, um, when you said, you know, you would be the only, only uh, female, only woman in the room, um, that made me think of uh, Mad Men, that episode where they were, whatever the product was, and it was just a bunch of old white guys in the <laughs> yeah. room. And they're like, hey, come in here. They're, hey, girl, come in here. And then she ended up being a copywriter. Like, they, you know, like, because they're like, wait, why? They, it's like, oh, maybe we should have someone who's part of our target audience advising us what to do. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing that, you know, once I became the program director at Z100, uh, and I would do interviews with, you know, whether it was Rolling Stone or New York Times about specific artists, and they would ask about a new project, and they just want my perspective. And then they'd say, you know, it's interesting. Why do you think they're not, there are not a lot of female programmers in radio? And, and it made me sit back and think, I really have no idea considering exactly what you said, that we're the target audience. You know, I still live the lifestyle, yeah. pop culture, yeah. music. Yeah. It's it's just what I love. And that's luckily what I was able to do for 20 years as a career of all those things. You know, I think radio especially is just being on top of pop, pop culture mm -hmm. and then having an ear for music. That's something I feel like I built over the years of really understanding what the audience was looking for or understanding music cycles and um, being able to program the best station we could put together. So yeah, let's get into Z100. So your boss came a call. Who was your boss? And was it, did you come right from Houston? Did you guys come right from Houston to Z100? What? Yes. So 
That's something that's really lucky is the fact that uh, I talk to so many radio, mostly personalities that'll say, I started in market 150, moved to market 150, mm-hmm. 10, and blah, blah. I went from eight to one. And it was, again, luck because of the situations I, I put myself in. Right. And so my boss, Tom Pullman, who now, we're, I mean, almost, we're not directly working together at the moment, but in certain ways we are, but almost 30 years working together. And he's one of those people that believed in me early on, saw that I had those instincts. And so in Houston, um, when he was given the opportunity to come take over Z100 in 1996, um, the station was in the crapper. It was in 18th place and pretty much the whole staff was jumping ship. And so he knew if he was going to make this big move, move his entire family, that he needed the people that he worked with at KRBE in Houston to build what we helped do in Houston up in New York. So four of us went up and uh, it was a tough first few years of of building that loyalty back because uh, a documentary just came out um, Z100 worst to first, the mm-hmm. true story, mm-hmm. and it, it's all about how the station launched, and in 74 days they went number one. And so, in New York, the brand is just so strong and such loyalty of people. And so, when the station kind of took a left turn before we got here, that brand expectation that people had of tuning in was gone. And so, we had to build that back, and it, it took some time. And thank God. You know, the NSYNC, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys phase happened and Spice Girls, all those bands that pretty much brought pop back because we had gone into an alternative music phase. So I remember my first day in the office, I walked in and Alice in Chains was playing on the station. I thought, this is not a top 40 radio station. (laughs) What is going on? Especially played on the morning show. That doesn't typically happen. Uh, (laughs) Such unfamiliar rock songs. Anyway. No, I I love it because I was going to I was going to ask like. Because I remember Z100, listening to Z100 in the 80s, because I'm a little bit older than you. And, um, you know, it was pretty popular. So I was going to ask you, what what caused it to fall fall off? What, what, what caused it to go down? So, you know, there, there, there are always music cycles. Right. You know, things, especially top 40, is the cream of the crop of every genre. So it's the best of pop, hip-hop, R&B, dance, Country, rock. Country. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And unless the music product is there, you can't have that right balance. So at the time, um, the the biggest music styles were the alternative. It was grunge. It was grunge. It was grunge. It was Nirvana. It was Alice in Chains. It was Soundgarden. But those aren't, those don't necessarily cross over to pop. And so they were programming those songs on the station because it was what was big on MTV. Right. It was okay. what was big, okay. you know, sales-wise. But again, Think about the brand expectation that people want a bit of everything. Casey Kasem, America's Casey top Kasem, exactly. I used to love now that Now Ryan Seacrest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's what happened. Again, we, we talk about this in the radio world all the time. It's that brand expectation. What is the brand? New York's number one hit music station is the positioning statement. So it's, mm. okay, so are those the hits? They weren't necessarily the hits at the time. Uh, they were big songs, but not necessarily for that brand. So that's what happened, and that's what the audience slowly went away, and we had to build it back by building that loyalty of having the balance of of styles, those those 
classic artists that I mentioned, the Backstreets, the mm-hmm. Insyncs. Thank God for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then creating a concert at the end of the year that really wraps it all up into one pretty bow of you want to see everything you heard on the radio station at the end of the year, the biggest songs. We we created a thing called Z One Hundred Jingle Ball. We'll talk more about that. So, is it what what I heard there was? Um, it kind of goes back to Video Killed the Radio Star. That was MTV, <laughs> like MTV. That was the first video they, they were really basically, you know, um, because before MTV, you had Christopher Cross who could sing his ass off, mm-hmm. but he was not the most. You know, he was kind of pudgy. He was. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't fit for video. It was right, quote unquote. And so then they just started just, you know, molding. Things to fit. Exactly. You know, what was on TV. Um, so I think you touched on it, but what – so you come in 18. What type of work has to be done? Like is it, is it just where you have to have your ear to the pulse? You, like what, what, like what, is, what was your, your typical day for you uh, at the station? We had to really rebuild everything. So okay. like I mentioned – the, the personalities, everyone jumped ship. People were like, this is a sinking ship. I'm not sticking around. <laughs> People that were there for, for a while before we got there. And so we had to build the loyalty with personalities. Luckily, um, the guy that was doing Afternoons, Elvis Duran, legendary Hall of Fame, Radio Hall of Famer Elvis Duran and dear friend, he was doing Afternoons and he was very well known for doing Afternoons. And we, my first day, we moved him to the morning show partnered him up with uh, a few of the people that were still around and and built that show. And to this day, he's still dominating New York radio uh, in the mornings on Z100. And it's because he created a show that was lifestyle, fun, feel good, and that, that companionship. And that's what, you know, radio, obviously, with so many different other ways to absorb music and, 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 and listen to different songs, whether it's streaming, YouTube, all these different things. But to have that companionship and that loyalty. Like people know his dog's name. They know his mm-hmm. partner's name. They know that he goes to Santa Fe a lot. And that's the thing. It's like you, when you listen to, to music on streaming services, it's great if you just want music. But to have someone that you feel like you've never met them, mm-hmm. but they're your best friend, <laughs> um, is a very unique thing. And that's what radio really brings to the consumer. Yeah, I get that. Um, wow, I, I didn't think about, it, but that's that's why I sort of like I really get like you feel like you know this person, and they're you're connected to them. They um, make you laugh. You have fun with them. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you come to New York, which is a is, is you know New York is only one New York City in the world. Um, were there are were there more women doing the, this type of work when you got to New York, or like at other stations, or what was it like? Not at all. Hmm. Not at all. And. Um, Still, only recently, more and more women are starting to to get the nod for those positions, and so it's it's been. But you know what's interesting is again because I worked with a team that was always very supportive, and I never felt like, oh, you're the only woman in this meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Growing up with two older brothers, you know, only girl kind of thing, it never seemed odd to me because I never was treated any differently or thought of any differently. Right. Um, but it, it is a shame that there there aren't more. And I, and I think because most females that see that it is 
a lot of men in these positions, they don't necessarily think that it's a job for them. And yeah. They don't understand yeah. that they really could be really great at it if they kind of understood all the dynamics of, mm. of what it takes. But, yeah, when we got here, um, no. There, there was um, a great female marketing director, but not programming. Yeah, yeah. I I said that people have asked me, oh, because um, black wine guy was because I was only usually the only black person yeah. in the room. But that I mean, I never it didn't bother me. It wasn't like it was like I love wine, so yeah. I'm, I'm here to learn. Um, and I just think um, that I, I want more people to to find out what they want to do and then go do it. It doesn't matter exactly. what the room looks like. Then be the first person in the room because there's always going to be a first person in the room. You know. And just like you, it's like it's living your passion. Yeah. If you're passionate about something, you just figure out a way to do it. And like I had told you with my background, I was just passionate about music. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, there's a job. I know. <laughs> I can be passionate about music and get paid. Yeah, I forgot. One of my guests was like, I could get paid to drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brooke. <laughs> Brooke Sabo. She's amazing. Yeah, she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I could get paid for yeah. drinking? <laughs> Um, that's awesome. So, uh, when did you make the move to start working more directly with music artists, um, at the station? You know, so Z100 is obviously a legendary brand now from, you know, all over New York, but it is definitely looked to around the country. And then I've also been fortunate enough to been asked to speak at conferences overseas, like in Europe. And... Uh, my friend had taken me there because he he goes regularly and he's like, all right, we're going to go to the cocktail party. And when you walk in, they're going to freak out. They'll th you'll feel like a rock star. I'm like, okay, they, they won't know who I am or they don't know Z100. And it was like, oh, my God, can I take a picture with you? <laughs> you're, you're from Z100? That's incredible. And so it's amazing that this brand, a radio brand, has just – penetrated all over the world and now you know some we can talk about it later but one of the things that i'm doing is working with radio around the world yeah. and just it's it's a legendary brand and i've been i feel so fortunate to have guided it for so many years to to where it is but um working with artists you know i think about like lady gaga for example she grew up in new york she's she said it in many radio interviews and just interviews in general that she grew up listening to Z100, and her idea and influence of her pop music was influenced by what she listened to growing up. So when I thought about that, I was like, well, when she was growing up, I was programming the <laughs> station. So the, I guess the music that I was programming influenced Lady Gaga. And, you know, so Next time you win a uh, Grammy, yeah, say, exactly. I'm going to shake Sharon Daster <laughs> for programming Z100. No, but it, it's, yeah. it's, no, it's, true, it's though. stuff like right. that, that that's really cool that I think yeah. about. And so because of the, the way people view Z100 and the music that has broken on Z100 or been played mm. there, a lot of artists will – over the years have asked me for advice on picking a single or um or or just anyone to collaborate with i i've i've had so many different been in the studio with artists and they'll they'll say well what do you think of this song what do you think of this song and you know it's exciting to 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 be sitting there and you know i i the one I'll always remember, and I've been lucky to be in the studio with a lot of a lot of artists, and, and it's mostly just to play the music because they want to have that cool 
vibe, that atmosphere of a recording studio, which is still, you walk in and it's still mouth opening. You know, you're like, oh my God, this studio is so cool. But um, I was asked one time to meet this one artist, and I'll tell you her name in a minute, uh, in the studio, because she hadn't had a, a big radio hit in the U.S. in a long time, and she wanted to play me the album and get my advice. So I, I walk in. She has a little yellow notepad and a pen. She's ready to take notes, and it was Madonna. And she said, I really want your help picking my next single because, you know, I really admire what Z100's done for my career early on and everything that uh, has happened. But, you know, I really want to get back in that game. So we sat there and just listened to music. And and I'm one of those people that I give my honest opinion. I won't necessarily sugarcoat it, but I do it in a way that's not offensive yeah, or you mean, like... insulting. You know, so like I'd hear a song and I'd be like, okay, um, what else? Let's let's keep listening. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate that artists have have kind of seen what the station's done and what I've done and that uh, they they remember certain sins certain situations where I've helped them kind of pick a single and, and then it's become something that's big. It's, it's exciting. So what, what song did you tell her to release? Well, unfortunately uh, there wasn't anything that was that I pinpointed okay. and she was still working on the album and then it ended up leaking. Mm. So it came out as is, unfortunately. So um, that whole thing just didn't even, <laughs> nothing ever came of it because it leaked and, it was out there, and so there was nothing she could do about changing it. So this is this is such a fun show. Uh, favorite Madonna song? <sighs> like a prayer. Like I just love one. when that gospel choir kicks in. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, the early Madonna was so good. Mm. So you good. know, basically it was a uh, freestyle music. Mm -hmm. so There's the white girl from Detroit doing yeah, freestyle music. Exactly. Um, but I really like uh, Secret. Mm. That just that that the the riff in the beginning and then the and I want to say yeah and yeah that that's one of my favorites um that's so funny um and I when I'm, you're telling me these stories I'm like it's like it's like it's, and here is another thing between wine and music right there's 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 layers and levels that you don't know like mm -hmm. so so like so many and I tell people no importers and no winemakers right so. So many winemakers, like some dope-ass winemaker, consult will consult like on a fifteen-dollar bottle of wine. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and once you know, like, like who's a producer? Like, so I'm getting Sharon is a she's a trendsetter and a tasteman. You know, you you're a forecaster, a trend forecaster. It's amazing, <laughs> amazing. Um, just real quick, going back to the whole Texas thing. Yeah. Like just through my career, I always feel like someone that I've worked with in radio or in the music business have had some trek through Texas, whether they're from there or that they've worked there. And listening to a lot of your podcasts and just reading a lot about wine folk, it's so funny how many people are from Texas or have gone through, whether it's Delenn, Andre Mack, was Jeff Porter? Jeff Porter. Oh, not, not, yes, exactly. Jeff Porter, yeah, yep. uh, Julia Coney, Comey. Yep, yep. <laughs> I was like, every time they mention Texas, I'm like, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a huge, and people don't get Texas is fucking. It is really it's huge. It's gigantic. It's gigantic. So it makes sense. It makes sense that you know, you know. I mean, 
But anyone from Texas, if you're from Texas and you see another Texan, that it's like an instant bond. You're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you understand. You get it. You know it. But I love that so many wine folks are uh, have that Texas connection or, yeah, that, that's or cool. you know, have that loyalty to, to Texas. I didn't even think about it. So I was like, yeah. Um, and, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Texom, big, big event. Like, everybody goes down there for Texom. They have a huge event. Um, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. It's uh, – I just really kind of found because I drift away from the industry, but yeah, it's it's a big Somalia so annual. Yeah, annual. Oh, how cool! Yeah, yeah, and everybody and everybody was there. I mean, everybody nice. you just name was there. Um, so it's really cool. Um, so you told the Madonna story. What what other? Uh, you have any other stories that stand out? Because I know we said you worked with Ed Sheeran, you know Taylor so, Swift, Katy so Perry. With, so with Ed, I mean, Ed is one of the. I mean, you you you'll, you ask anyone, he'll, they'll say he's the nicest person, artist, superstar you'll ever meet. You know, still to this day, still so humble, still so appreciative. And when we first met early on in his career, you know, he would always just wear his, his little T-shirt and his jeans. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily about fashion or anything. But one thing that we connected on early on and I mean, I don't have the money he has, but he loves watches. He collects watches. So whenever we'd run into each other, like at the Grammy parties or anything, we'd both grab each other's wrist and go, what are you wearing? Okay. And then, you know, we'd look look down. But um, the thing that I know now, he's married. He has a child. He's now living out more in the country uh, outside of London. And he's become really big into wine. He loves wine. And he has kind of started a thing where... And I kind of wish I could do this. I just don't have the storage for it. But pretty much every bottle that he has, once he has it with a friend or at a dinner that's some special moment, he'll write on the bottle and write on the label, you know, the person he drank it with, where they were. And I thought, oh, gosh, that's such a lovely memory. Because, I I mean, I love my Vivino app, and thank God for it because it helps me keep track of certain things. And when did I drink (laughs) this? She hasn't listened to the episode with uh, uh, Dancing Crow. Ah, Oates and Hayden. I, oh, I don't know. Do I know where his Instagram name? I can't think of his name right now. Stefan, Stefan Cartledge. <laughs> Go back and listen to that one. Okay. <laughs> but I love that. Was I, it bad? <laughs> no, it was not okay. bad. <laughs> it's just me being me. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> um, But no, I know what you mean because like I was – I like to save bottles. I didn't think to write who I had it with but like I recently like I had to, you know – I think my neighbors thought I was drinking even more than I drink. Because <laughs> I was like, why do you, I was like, why you got all these, I was like, you got to let go of this bottle, man. You know, I was yeah. like, I'm like, I know it's a Synchronon bottle and it's mm. sexy, but like, oh, you, so you don't have, you don't have, I'm like, dude, but you, you can't. So yeah, that, that's, a, I love that. That's a great idea. Yeah, and, no. So I, I love, love that he does that. And I, I started um, a friend of mine that is in the music business. We had run, Feel like there's always a Grammy story party. We ran into a, each other at a Grammy party, and he knows that I like wine, and and that I'm always trying to learn, and I just like to be around people that are a lot more educated about it, just so I can pick it up. And he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I do this monthly New York City wine crew dinner, and it's people, all people in the music business, whether they're concert promoters, streaming services, radio, record labels." He goes, we do it mo- once a month. We pick a place that's usually has a corkage fee. Everyone brings a bottle, and uh, we do a dinner. You should come to the next one. I said, great. 
show up. I knew most of the people, some I didn't know. Um, there was about 12 of us. I brought, because at the time I was only on Sea Smoke and uh, Booker, so I brought my Sea Smoke. And Shout out to Eric Jensen. Yes. <laughs> and, but, oh, my gosh, these guys, it's it's a couple of years in the, in the that it's been going on now, and these guys are so wonderful. And first of all, I'm the only girl in that group, too. So there's like 12 guys and me, and, and they, they some want to bring their wives or their girlfriends. I'm like, no, it's just me. But sometimes they come, but it's just fine. They're lovely people. But yeah. But they're oh. usually never into wine, though, like that. Though. That's the thing. <laughs> yes and no. Um, but oh my gosh, these guys have unbelievable collections. Yeah. Just, you know, the... The Synquanons, the Sasakayas, the Via Sicilia, yeah. and all these fabulous wines that I'd never necessarily tried before and that we'd learn about. And so we'd pick a restaurant and we'd have like a four or five hour dinner and we'd open it up. Everyone would try it and have it and we'd discuss it. And at the end of the night, you know, we'd say, OK, go around, say your favorite. And because, like I said, I was only on those two lists that after the second dinner, I'm like, I can't bring another sea smoke and another booker. <laughs> so... You know, here comes COVID and we're not spending money on anything but food and, you know, paper towels. So I was lucky that a lot of these uh, wine lists that weren't... They opened up because they, they were going up. to restaurants. Exactly. Yep. So just to, to kind of tell you what happened in the last three years, I went from a 20-bottle wine fridge in my basement... I also had a little uh, apartment in the city that I also had a, a little 20-bottle wine fridge. So I had two two wine fridges, so 40 bottles. To now I have three 20-bottle wine fridges and one 200-bottle wine fridge, all full, all double-stacked. Because just like we were saying before this started, like it, as soon as you see something, like, oh, I know, I got to get it. I'm like, ah. And then it's in a weird way, it's because you buy in advance, like, Right now is not a great time because all the allocations, I'm getting the emails, you know, I'm getting know. Realm and Costa Brown and <laughs> William Sellium. And I love all of these, but I'm like, where am I going to put these? But the, the interesting interesting thing is you pay for it now, you get it in October, so you don't really feel like you've paid for it because it's already the money's right. already gone. It's, it's like free wine just <laughs> yeah, showed up. Exactly. So, <laughs> and then the next offer comes in for the fall offering comes in, in September. So yeah. that all kind of started pre, a little pre-COVID because I am so competitive. I wanted to have the winning it. wine. So I, I started going to Acker and, and you know, bidding on wines there online and getting some stuff that I'd bring to the dinner. And they're like, ooh. Sharon stepping up. <laughs> so like, you know, Lynch Bog and all this stuff I would get. And then uh, I think the last in-person, last three in-person dinners, I feel like I won uh, best, best wine. Yeah. Right, okay, so okay. it was exciting. I okay. love my New York City wine crew. They're unfortunately doing the next one and I'll be out of town, but they're doing, I think you mentioned this with somebody, the Peking Duck House. Yeah. Oh, I was going to tell you. Yeah, after, you you're, you're welcome to come. We're going to, I'm going to. You're gonna come to Woo's with me one night. Yes. It, it gets really stupid. Okay. Um, so um, <clears throat> amazing. So a little bit, a little while ago, you mentioned the uh, the jingle ball. Mm -hmm. uh, that's your concept. How'd that come into place, and what was that like uh, to 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 pull that off? So it was, you know, a lot of radio stations do concerts because the idea about doing a concert is. You know, it's the highlights of the music you play on the radio station. And um, to hopefully, hold on, let's take a little step. Go. See, she, she's for real. <laughs> so 
they had been before we got to New York, they were doing a jingle ball, but it wasn't like a well branded event. They were just having the annual concert at Christmas. Uh, we decided, you know, let's put together a show of the biggest hits that were pl- being played on the station that year. And um, it slowly started just becoming this brand on its own. You know, even without Z100, people's like, Jingle Ball, Jingle Ball. We're like, okay, let's make sure it's branded with Z100 so people know that this is the concert. And every year, you know, you start to book a show like March or April uh, of that year. And so it's it's kind of predicting the future, almost mm. in a weird way like wine. Like if you know early on, is it going to be good right. in the future? Like well, how was the rainfall and what's yeah. Yeah, exactly right? And so that was such a pleasure, a joy, a challenge of hearing music early on or an artist and saying, okay, by December – the audience is still going to go nuts when they mm-hmm. get on stage. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes have to really predict. And sometimes you get to October, you're like, uh, I don't know if this is still big now. Maybe we pull them off. But anyway, so we, we built this show over the years. And it literally had become just the biggest event. And I have a lot of friends that work at Madison Square Garden. And they say, we've had NCAA championships. We've had big boxing, tennis, NBA. World's most famous arena. The biggest events, the hardest ticket to get is Z100's Jingle Ball. Wow. Because it sells out so quickly. And, um, you know, I was at a charity event for uh, Rosie O'Donnell's Theater Kids, and a friend of mine was doing the auction, and they were uh, auctioning off just a pair of tickets. It wasn't just front row or anything, a good pair of tickets. And these two women were you know, kept raising their hand, all right, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, $75,000 for a pair of tickets to this concert. And so my friend turned to me and said, can we get another pair? (laughs) And so he's like, if both of you pay $75,000, I can get you both tickets. And they did it. So to think 150 for four tickets to this concert, because the kids ask for it for Christmas, Mm. like they save their money all year. And it's, it's just been such one of the biggest accomplishments of my life is just being in that arena. And I, I love watching the audience react to the way we do it. Because we, we ask them to, the artists to play their biggest songs. Of course. And sometimes they'll want to throw in the new song and, you know, it's some negotiation. But it's like they're not here to see your new song. They right. want to see <laughs> right. the biggest songs. <laughs> but, yeah, and literally during the video countdown – pyrotechnics go off it is a scream fest from 6 30 to 10 30 non-stop and because we learned as the years went on of using this rotating stage that as one band was playing on one side the other side was being set up for the next band so as soon as that one was done Mm -hmm. someone would make a quick announcement the stage was rotating and boom, you didn't have time to go to the bathroom. You didn't have time to go get a drink because it was nonstop and you didn't want to miss anything. And so, you know, we, we every year we'd learn and learn and learn and, and make it better and better and better. And it's just, it's, uh, it, it's exciting to, to, to be in that arena when it, when it happens. Oh, my God. I can just only imagine. I think it's a good time for us to take a quick break and we'll be back more with some more of Sharon, the star. The star. See, I did. <laughs> the star. I'm na- changing my name. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? 
Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrones from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Ross Knoll Vineyard Wines and winemaker Justin Seidenfeld are making delicious handcrafted wines from Pinot Noir grapes sourced from the exceptional vineyards throughout the Russian River Valley. Personally, I found their 2021 rosé to be absolutely delicious. Go to rossknollvineyard.com and join their waitlist to discover all of their limited production wines and to be notified of upcoming releases. Okay, we're back. Um... And during the break, we poured the red. Yes, the 2020 Rain Sonoma Coast Royal St. Robert. And again, I know it's young, but uh, I had to bring it. I wanted you to experience the rain with me. Yeah. Experience the rain. (laughs) Tell me, baby, can you stay? And the rain. Um, so yeah, very Sonoma Coast, but I get really crunchy like pomegranate. Mm. It's really it's uh, pomegranate and cranberry, but it has that pine noodle thing yeah. you get on Sonoma Coast. Um, it's delicious now. Um, sure, if we had four hour, five hours drink, it would, it's going to open. It would open even more. Definitely, a few more years. But um, I think over overused a little bit, but more Burgundian. Like it's not that definitely that that big really ripe California style, which I enjoy, but like this definitely is, is an elegance and um, uh, little restrained quality to it right now. Yeah. And what, what's so fun about just my wine journey in general, especially more in the last several years is just, the, you know, every bottle has a story, mm. every producer, there, mm-hmm. you know, there's always something cool. And I've been trying to educate myself as much as possible. And, you know, especially these guys, I know Carlo and his brother, Dante, they had lived over in Burgundy for a while and they worked there and, and trained there and, and had come over. And, and one of my favorite stories that he, he told on, on, I think on Psalm TV, that I, I just, I loved this idea. And, and this is what kind of, I'm going to bounce back and forth here and there, but, you know, between Dottie and John with Open That Bottle Night, mm-hmm. it, you know, opened my mind to... Okay, yes, you spend a lot of money on wine, but okay, what is the the purpose? You want to enjoy it. You want to enjoy it with people you care about and have a good story, you know, of enjoying the wine. So Dante tells a story about when he was growing up and he, it was a dinner at Robert Mondavi's house, his grandfather, and he's like, "Dante, go down to the cellar and grab something for us to drink." He said he was like 19 years old. Goes down there, um, grabs like the current vintage of Robert Mondavi, comes up and says, Grandfather, how about this? He's like, go go back and get something with a little age. So he goes down there, sees a 1924 Chateau Margaux. And just as a joke, he's like, I'm going to bring this up and see what grandfather says. And so he brings it up. He's like, great, let's open it. <laughs> and that just goes to show you, it's like, no matter 
the bottles you're saving, like open that bottle night. Mm-hmm. It's like open it, enjoy it, and appreciate it. And it's so funny that so stories like this I've been trying, you know, I've been reading or listening to podcasts or watching certain things, and I I now have this you know roller bag suitcase for wine. I saw that, and you went away <laughs> for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, and so. You know, ever since COVID, I have my pod of people. My 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 main group is my Savannah Seven. My 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 friends that we went to Savannah together, and ever since we're attached at the hip. Oh, and I love we, that. And so some live in the Hudson Valley, uh, some have a place in the Hamptons. And so whenever it's so funny, I feel like Santa. Whenever they see me drive in the driveway, <laughs> open the trunk, and bring the rolly bag out, they're like, "Yes, she brought the bag." <laughs> and so it's so fun when they'll we'll, they'll make a beautiful dinner. Uh, usually I ask in advance what we're making or cooking together because I like to try to bring something that goes really well with it. And then I love they'll, – they'll stop down, Sharon, tell us about this wine. And I just – I love that they, they look at me like I know what I'm talking about. I'm just reading and, and trying to educate myself. But yeah, it's so fun. That's what everybody's doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun. And I, I love that they get so excited about my rolly bag and they love my stories. But then my favorite is even at Thanksgiving I had gone to a friend's house. And I brought um, a William Selium uh, Zinfandel that mm. I, I hadn't tried before, but I had read up about it, and mm-hmm. uh, they said, you know, it'd be lovely with turkey. And mm-hmm. the table freaked out. And my one friend, who doesn't drink that much, he he kept asking for more. And it was it just it was like a, such a, an accomplishment that I brought a bottle that not only they liked, but that I turned someone on to something that. He's not a big wine drinker. He drinks maybe a glass, but he's like, Sharon, can I get some more? I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I'm obsessed with wine. I just love it. I love it. And like you, we said at the beginning, the fact that no matter how long you're in the business or have it as a passion, you're always learning. And that that's in life for me. That That's one reason why like I, I've changed jobs, you know, in the last couple of years because mm-hmm. I... I always want to be learning. I always want to be growing. I always want to, to try new things and see what, what fits. And wine is that to me. And I, I love now trying different variety, varietals, varieties. I still am trying to figure out the difference uh, between the two. Uh, me too. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> I think one is, uh, one is wine speak. They both mean the same okay. thing. But one <laughs> is definitely wine speak, you know, like, you know, uh, they're different grape varieties. Why do they have to be varietals? Yeah. Um, no, I love, like, you just lit up, like, I just, like, <laughs> but isn't it so cool, like, like, even when I first got into wine, like, I'd been in, you know, I'd only been in their business for a few months, and then I can't went home, and, you know, I went to something with my family, and, like, everybody wants to call you the wine expert, right? Yeah. Like, if, if, like <laughs> you know, um, you know this much more than they do about wine, yeah. um, but there is that thing, like, that high you get when people like enjoy yeah. the wine you brought, right? And then now I, you know, it depends how far I'm going, but I'll bubble wrap my gorgeous decanter. I'll bring my Lyle can open or not can opener, bottle opener, and you know, I love the presentation. Yeah, let's talk. I want to talk about like, <laughs> um, like she brought a Lyle uh, opener, beautiful. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to. Well, this will be in some of the clips, but. Everybody, I need to put all these episodes up on YouTube, but tell us about this decanting system you brought <laughs> here. 
So uh, a friend of mine, one of the people that I bring the rolly bag to, knows that I am obsessed with wine, and she found this this company. Uh, I believe they're out of England. Eto, I think it's pronounced E T O, and it's a decanter slash. Um, wine storage basically so you put it in and there's like a, a little ball in here so it, the the wine runs over the ball as it goes into the bottom but then when we're done if we don't finish this bottle you push this stopper down so it takes out all the air and then you can store it in the fridge they say for like two three weeks and the the wine now has no air going into it. So oh, that's, that stopper. That is, it's inc- and it's gorgeous. Look at it. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, it, it, it makes. I mean, it's it's really. Um, it's, and I, it's such a it's easy sexy thing. But wine <laughs> is sexy like that. Like when you really get into it, the gadgets like yeah. like the corkscrew, like this thing. Um, you've seen some of the Riedel like Swan decanters. Mm. Like oh, I've got that. <laughs> she's got the toys. Um, I, I, was was there any wine in your life growing up? Did your parents drink wine at all? Um, we occasionally, I think at dinners and stuff, we'd have a glass or so, but nothing that was ever, I did it because, right. but, but what's fun now is, so I go, I go back regularly that, you know, during COVID, one of the kind of positive things was that I've been able to work from my mom's house in Houston and hang out with her more. And so whenever I, I'd grill something or make something, like okay let me go buy some wine that'll go well with this and she's not a drinker at all and now it's like oh am i gonna get a glass and then she (laughs) and she's understanding the whole flavor with the food and really enjoying it and and that that makes me so happy the fact that she's like oh i don't get any wine tonight i'm like oh i thought i didn't know you wanted one every night like i'm having (laughs) so so it's been really fun kind of having her experience that as well and when i was down there for my birthday um, again, because she's not a drinker, I didn't want to get anything too crazy right? because it would be mostly just me, but she's like, you know, get, get what you want, get what you want. So I decided I wanted to try, um, a champagne that I had not, I mean, I've had Dom Perignon many times before, mm-hmm. but I had not, I never heard about P2, Plenitude 2, didn't understand that, watched a YouTube video, read about it, and then I was like, oh. This is fascinating. Okay. I see Total Wine has it. I'm going to go get it. I went and bought it. And again, this is a hoity-toity birthday, but we had caviar and like smoked salmon and this beautiful spread. And this bottle, oh my God, it was incredible. Like you just, I love champagne. I don't necessarily always see, when when you have good champagne, it's it's good. Right. It's really good. Right. But I don't like when, when you've got such different... Um, you know, white wine, red wine, you feel a difference. I don't always feel that difference with champagne, but oh my gosh, this one was just out of this world. I kept the, the beautiful box. It came, I mean, the hard case with the sliding yeah. thing. Oh my God, it was unbelievable. It was so good. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I'm unfortunate because um, where I worked, the stores I worked and the clientele mm-hmm. I've worked with, um, and people ask you like, "Is it worth it?" Well, if you can't it's afford, the it, worth yeah, 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 okay. yeah. You can't. If you can't afford it. It's not worth it, right? Yeah. I, and we had a guest, uh, Landon Patterson, Hundred Acre, oh. Seabar, and he was like, "He's like, he, I he think says, I have a dinner with him in a week. I or always, a month. I <laughs> always say 
he says, I always say, 100 Acres, one of the best bottles of wine you can drink on someone else's dime. Yeah. It's you know? um, <laughs> so true. But you're right. But I'm like, I'm like, but is there a difference between like a Cristal and a Veuve Clicquot? You bet your fucking ass there is. Yeah. You know, there. I mean, will most people know what the difference is? And even, and you know what? I, I you know, they, they always say, you like to see these articles about, oh, most people can't tell the difference between a $10 bottle of wine and this dollar bottle of wine. Oh, I do. Uh, me too. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And I get excited. Conversely, I get excited by a, a, a fifteen dollars bottle of wine. I'm like, holy shit! Let me get a, two cases of this. So one thing that I, I just remembered that really kind of started my wine journey, but I was so basic at the time, was when I first moved to New York. A really good friend of mine, so into wine, wanted to to go to this thing at the Warwick Hotel called the Executive Wine Seminar. And basically, they'd have a different theme every week. You'd go, they'd have the table with beautiful breads and Murray's cheese shop of stuff to have in between. They'd have bottles in the brown bags. You'd have a sheet of paper in front of you. And you'd go and you'd taste. You know, you'd had the, the tasting around you. You'd write your notes. And I, you know, I'd go, okay, no. Okay, then I'd take my note. Good. Then I do the second one. Really good. And then the they, the guy on stage would say, "All right, let's discuss. Let's say the first bottle. He'd take it out, and this one guy was like a photographer. He'd say, you know, I got the real earthy tones and very mushroom and you know forest floor, blah 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 blah." And I'm like, "What? Where is he getting all of that?" But it was fascinating that we were doing that. They were doing that, and I remember hearing. Um, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Sabado Sagaria. He's a master sommelier that I think he went to Cornell and he had told a story that while he was going through, I think, a uh, hotel The hotel uh, program, hospital. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. That he did, did a wine course up there. And I guess when he was doing it, he's just like they were tasting DRC and all these things. And he, he told a story just like mine where he's like, he goes, I had no idea I'd take a sip. Good. This one, not so good. I like it. I like it. Very good. <laughs> so the fact that he's like one of the biggest master sommeliers now that Wine he started, is good. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Those are your beginning notes. Totally. People don't get like, like everybody who's been wine, they, they didn't know when, you know, with the exception of Brooke Sabel, who's getting some, like she tells a story. She was in a, the only other, there's a school of hospitality at this university in Wisconsin and that's really good. And she was taking a beginning class, like you said, but but she was getting notes, like she's someone who had to give the palate. And the, and that and that's when the professor said, "Hey, um, you know." And she said, "This is a very funny story." She said, "And I was drinking my, I took it with my roommate because it was like on a Thursday night, and like they could get an early start on drinking. That's why she took the <laughs> class." And she said she thought she was going to get in trouble because she was finishing her 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 roommate's glass. Oh my god! And he's like he's like, "Hey, you you." Gave some good notes. Have you do you, do you know wine? She's like, no, it's the first thing he's low. So, wow. but most of us, like you said, it's like it's good. <laughs> um, you know, uh, when I started selling wine at Acker, literally they were like, okay, I would go to tasting, but they're like, just walk around the store and read the back of the bottle, right? So then I'd be like, this one tastes like black cherry <laughs> with a touch of oak, and people were like, oh, okay, I like that. Like, like literally, I was just saying what's on the back of the bottle. Yeah, you know. Well, what was interesting about that. Um, executive wine seminar that I went to, the thing that I did learn, the, the biggest takeaway I had was once they took us through what the bottles were, I noticed that 
the sometimes the least expensive one was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I always tell my friends. I'm like, yes, I may spend a lot on wine <laughs> because I know I really like it, but you can get some great bottles. And, I, and that's what I want to kind of educate myself on more. Like I had eaten at uh, One White Street yep. and Audrey yep. Frick, um, love her. who we all love. I had met her at Goodman's Bar originally, and she was telling us when I was with my friends about One White Street. And then finally when it opened, we communicated on Instagram. And I was like, I got to come. She's like, let me know. And I'll, you know. So had dinner there, and she had uh, poured some wine. And it was from uh, John and Jane, all the Australian stuff yeah. that they yeah, – yeah. And that's one – like now I'm on a mission to really experience Australian wines, understand them. And, and they're they're very affordable, but like just – beautiful and delicious and mm. i want to you know i feel like i'm constantly changing the location of what i want to focus well, me on like too. south africa yeah. or you know, australia and yeah. and it's fun and and before covid i never drank at home alone because being in the music business you're at shows all the time you've got dinners all the time you're out all the time you're having drinks and so it's like why would i drink at home you know so i kept compiling stuff and then when i was just isolated by myself, I was like, okay, well, got to start cracking these things open and, and really experiencing. So I, I had kind of an education over the last two years of of opening stuff. Thank God for things like this uh, yep. Eto, Eto, because then, you know, a bottle would last, you know, a week, week and a half because I, you know, didn't want to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, you want to taste more wine. So you put that in one and I'm like, I'm going to drink this one. and. Mm-hmm. Um, There was something you said. Everything you said is just beautiful. <laughs> um, but it was, I was like, oh, okay. Um, oh. So <clears throat> you mentioned um, that a uh, lot of pop artists are getting into wine. And in our our pregame, you mentioned uh, you'd like to have some wine with Greg Popovich. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what – like, where did you, like, obviously, you know, when you came across them, what what makes you want to have uh, some wine with pop? So I'm a big fan of basketball. Love the NBA. Um, grew up loving my Houston Rockets. And luckily, the two years right before I moved to New York, they did win the championship. Um, so, you know, I just love reading about teams and stuff. And I had read the Baxter Holmes articles that he always talks about, you know, with um, all the athletes, the bubble, and and a, a good friend of mine, Paul, works at the NBA also. And so he, when I had read the article about how originally, I guess, what, are we two years ago now, I guess, 2020, in the bubble, the NBA bubble, when uh, athletes would order a wine fridge for their room or have their guy get them bottles and ship it down. And I said, I called my friend Paul. I was like, so is you know is this kind of accurate? He's like, yeah, the mail room is insane. <laughs> it's boxes and boxes of wine. I'm like, I wonder if you know things just kind of go missing or what. But he's <laughs> like, yeah. So um, yeah, no, just reading about how the NBA. I just again with Instagram seeing LeBron opening certain bottles or Dwayne Wade or mm-hmm. all these people. I'm just fascinated, and it's fun to like you do the zoom in, like, oh, what are they? Right, right. That's how I found. I was like. That? What is that bottle? And so then I, when I read the article, and again being from Texas, you know about Popovich and 
his dinners and but again I also love the fact that it's it's again about getting the team it's together community. community but then also at least in the article it talks about some restaurant they were eating in San Francisco and it goes to like some random table and says I'd love for you to try this one like right. that's what wine yeah. right. that's and what meals and people are all about and I just I love that idea that he's so passionate about sharing his wines which I'm sure are incredible um but yeah, I think I think it would just be a fun. Exp- I think it wouldn't. I wouldn't want a one-on-one. I'd want a whole crew yeah. of people because yeah. I'm sure the people would be yeah. dope. Yeah. It'd be amazing. <laughs> It'd be so fun just hanging out with that crew, opening some stuff and 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 all that. But it, it is interesting. Also, just I love watching athletes more and more of them talking about wine, and it's fun kind of seeing again. I am not knowledgeable i just love it but seeing athletes i think getting certain bottles because they've seen other athletes get it right and, and they they have no idea well they're but, competitive they're trying to outflex yeah, each totally. other yeah totally it's a total yeah. flex it's a total and flex. so yeah. Yeah. it is funny when when you see that and, and you know that they maybe not even really well, appreciating yeah. it or enjoying it that was my it. first inclination because <laughs> we offline so i was i was like i was like okay so yeah NBA players drinking wine is not necessarily making wine more inclusive because <laughs> it's a wealth product and yeah. they're wealthy, right? Like, yeah. and they don't. And and I and, and I love you guys. I had JJ on, but like, it's not like they started on that like five dollar bottle. It was not like this super long dream. It was like, right. I went out to dinner. There was a shit called Chateau Latour. It was amazing. <laughs> now I buy first growths. You yeah. know? Um, and that's all good because it, it. I think it opens up other people to it. That's what it was. So you said how you um, you are in the entertainment business and you're a program director. Mm-hmm. You obviously have a corporate account. <laughs> you have a black card, gold card, whatever. You ate out a lot. Um, when we were talking before the show, um, you used to hang out at EMP a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's how you met Jane and John. So share some of your EMP stories. Oh, my gosh. Because so so I think you, said, you basically said um, that was like your your home bar. Okay. I know it sounds weird, but literally EMP pre-remodeling was my cheers. <laughs> I would walk in and sure. basically <laughs> I had the – like the, the bar was this long, long end and then the short end. I loved that corner spot. And I kept like a little account in my phone of all the the people that worked there that were – I just I met so many incredible people. I heard so many incredible stories. I learned so much about wine, about spirits, about hospitality. Yeah. Like I would leave there and I just you know, you felt fantastic and and I I would go there either sometimes by myself, which I don't do often, but I would bring friends there. We'd sit, I go, "Let's just have a drink." And we would be there for 2 hours just having like two drinks because we were talking to the people and because it was EMP, a lot of the people at the bar were people from out of town that mm-hmm. couldn't get a reservation but wanted the experience. So some guy from Japan and he was like this big banker and like we'd hear these stories and it was just, it was so fun. And I, I made, like I said, I made the list and so it's like there was Tall Matt, there was Short Matt, there was, <laughs> you know, John and Jane. And, I, and, and funny enough, even when they were on your podcast telling their story, I remember them telling me like, okay, so John and Jane are no longer together. Oh yeah, no, and, like I yeah, would get yeah. all the gossip yeah, too exactly, because like, yeah. it was my cheers, and yeah. so <laughs> I would go there and I would sometimes get a little snack of something to eat or just have a cocktail, sometimes wine, and and so 
uh, when I was having dinner at the bar with a friend of mine, I had gotten this poached lobster dish, and I, I was like, you know, oh. I would love to get like a beautiful glass of wine to go with it. And so they sent John over, and you know, whenever anyone's wearing the pin, I freak out. You know, I'm like, oh my god, they have the pin. <laughs> Can I hold it? Can I touch it? You know. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so he came over, the nicest guy, and I said, John, I would love for you to, to suggest something that would be beautiful with this poached lobster. And so he's like, do you trust me? I'm like, I just met you, but I do. <laughs> You've got the pin. Because you got the pin. <laughs> so he's like, I'll be right back. He comes back, puts a glass in front of me. He's like, okay, take a bite of your lobster. Boom. Take a sip. And like I said, it just... It exploded in my mouth in the most beautiful way. And he's and I said, tell me what it is. I don't remember the producer, but it was Chablis. And at the time, in my head, I was like, Chablis is for Dabiso. grandmas. And, yeah. you know, I, I like, I, in Cause, my Because in our world, in America, exactly. Chablis was a exactly. jug one. Right, in our world, yeah. And then ever since then, I became obsessed with Chablis. And it was one of those memories that I'll just never forget that like John came over and then the, the tall Matt and short Matt were all curious what I'd think, how it went with, with the, with the uh, lobster. But yeah, I just, I had the best time going there. And a lot of like, I'd have a dinner with some, some industry people, some friends. And then if it was close to EMP, I'm like, before I go home, I'm going to stop by in there. And literally it's funny during COVID, like we all did, we reorganized our pantries, our closets, and all that. Have you ever been fortunate enough to eat it? No, not yet. So when you eat there, they... My producer has. <laughs> when you leave... And then they... her husband had to go out for a slice of pizza because he was still hungry. <laughs> oh. Did you do the veg... Is it the... the... No, this was pre... No, this was okay. pre... Which I'm skeptical of. Yes, me I'm too. I'm not going to lie. But anyway. Same price. Although Rita no Jermaine was here. Exactly. Lobster. She was okay. like, she's like. Who was? Rita Jermaine. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's going there. But I'm like, as someone who lived in California and was every type of vegan. Yeah. I just. I just can't. I just. I can't. Anyway. Anyway. We so, digress. <laughs> <laughs> so when you leave, they give you this beautiful um, homemade granola for your breakfast the next morning. So Strawberries, it's, by the way. Carol. Yes, totally. Yeah. So. I looked in my pantry. I had 14 of these mason jars of this EMP granola. I haven't eaten there 14 times, but because they, I would go and drink Late, there yeah, and, yeah. and snack there, that they were always so nice and would say, oh, here, here's your granola for tomorrow. I was like, I don't remember having that many, but 14 containers. I mean, people go to EMP once in their life. And I actually, kind of another fun EMP story was, so after seeing Psalm, the first time, mm -hmm. like when mm -hmm. it came out, I was, like most people, obsessed with Dustin Wilson. And so uh, my parents were coming in from Texas for my dad's birthday. And I made, I called in every favor to get a reservation at EMP for his birthday. Got the reservation. So excited. I was like, okay, I hope Dustin's working that night. And again, I've been fortunate to meet like the biggest superstars in the world. All I cared about, I wanted to meet <laughs> Dustin Wilson. So on Instagram... He was the first guest on the podcast. Oh, was he? Yes, oh, he great. Was. I got to scroll back. Love Dustin. He's amazing. <laughs> so on Instagram, a week prior, I see he's in Spain. As the week's getting further, that Friday, let's say, Friday before, it says, oh, all good things must come to an end heading home. I'm like, okay, yes. <laughs> okay, thank God. Next Saturday, 
oh, our flight was canceled. Not a bad place to be stuck. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because I think our reservation was that Tuesday. So then I literally, I walk up to the restaurant. I park my car right out front. I'm walking. I'm like looking in the glass. If you've ever walked by, it's big mm-hmm, glass mm-hmm. windows. I'm like looking for that nice bald head. I'm like looking, <laughs> looking, looking, looking. <gasps> I think I see it. And then I walk in. I go, is Dustin working today? They're like, did you see Sam? I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> They're like, would you like us to sit you in his section? Yes, please. He was there. I asked for a picture at the end. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just would love to do He's like, absolutely. He was so nice. And then I saw him when I had the dinner at One White Street. And also, um, Goodman's Bar. Have you, did you ever, have you ever been? Mm-mm. Are you familiar with Goodman's? No. It's so, school. See, I learned so much. That's why I, that's so, why I have this show, this show. Yeah, baby. Um, so, um, Bergdorf Goodman. Okay. You've got the men's side and the women's side. Okay. Fifth, uh, across from each other at Fifth Avenue. And so, Dustin and Austin, I can't think of his last name, but he's the chef he's the at chef One now. White yeah. Street. Mm-hmm. They were asked to open a bar inside the men's department of Bergdorf Goodman. They called it Goodman's Bar. And because I read about it in a bunch of places and because it was Dustin, I had to go. And it was the coolest. Like, it's just like this oasis in the middle of a department store, but the, you know, the custom hand-painted wallpaper and the the ceiling was this carved something and and the menu was just these beautiful little bites of stuff and so I had gone and it was just and that's where I also met Audrey and um, I'd gone a couple times and it was just one of those experiences like again you're in the middle of a department store but you're having these beautiful cocktails this beautiful food that Again, you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. in a department mm-hmm. store, but you think about We're that. not talking Ikea Swedish exactly, meatballs. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so fantastic. And I, I mean, I'm sure it's still open, but I don't yeah. think they're, they're involved anymore. But, yeah, it was, it was, it's a fun place. So you um, like to travel a lot. I do. Yeah. And uh, so what have, has your travel, since you became such a – a wine enthusiast, has your travel been in, influenced by that? So interestingly, interestingly enough, um, so when I was in college, I studied in France Okay. Um, the second to last year. So I studied in Caen, which is in Normandy. And my friends, who I'm still best friends with today, um, we decided and, – and that was – on my 20th birthday when we were studying there. So then on my 30th, we went over, went to France, and then did a week in Burgundy. Then uh, my 40th, we went back to France, and we went to Rance in the Champagne region, which was just incredible. I mean, the the Burgundy stuff was, was so fabulous. It was definitely like really farm, but mm-hmm. we had most incredible meals where you're so full. You're like, I can't eat for like 10 days. And then the next morning you wake up, you're like, let's do it let's again. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but Rance that we stayed in, we stayed in this gorgeous hotel and we did uh, tours each day and just even going down into the cellars of, of Dom Perignon and you're going down this winding like stone staircase and they've, they've got the vintages like on each st- a step and then you're down in there and you see these cobwebs, you see these mushrooms growing, you see the dust. and the black mold on mushrooms. Yeah, you think yeah. of the history mm-hmm. and you, you're getting the tour and you're hearing the history and it's just, oh, we had such a wonderful time. And so um, 
I was supposed to do Bordeaux a few years ago, and then COVID hit and didn't get to do it. But uh, I was I was mapping out my Chateau de Cam uh, <laughs> tour because I'm obsessed, and I just I love the whole idea of of how it's produced, and then also you know the liquid gold and. I've been lucky enough through Acker. Actually, it's not lucky enough because I paid the money. I bought the <laughs> bottles. <laughs> bought the bottles. But I've shared it with, again, you know, those things. Wow, Sauternes, sh- and especially yeah. again, but Sauternes in general. like uh, And shared pl- it with friends yeah. and, and to tell them the story of this producer and how, like, I, the story. So, again, traveling, going back to your original yep. question. One of my favorite restaurant experiences is in Paris at uh, La Tour d'Argent. Oh, and heard of it. So they're famous for their 450,000 bottle cellar. Mm. They're one of the oldest restaurants in France, I want to say, or maybe Europe. Maybe definitely possibly France. Europe, possibly yeah. Europe. What, possibly. And so, um, like, this story is so. <laughs> Amazing and heartbreaking at the same time. So one of the original sommeliers, not original, one of the sommeliers from um, La Tour d'Argent bought a bottle of Chateau de Cam, I want to say for, it was the most paid ever for a white wine. If it was $120,000, would that sound right? I mean, it could be. I mean, Okay, I, let's just say. I, I, let's just know, say it was $120,000. I haven't had my ear to the pulse of the auction market, but yeah. I mean, So that's... he bought this bottle of Chateau de Cam. Very old, 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 old bottle. And he opened a restaurant in Bali and literally created this bulletproof case that displayed this bottle in his restaurant. And his idea was on his 70th birthday, he was going to go back to um, Tour d'Argent, get the owner, bring his wife, and they were going to open this bottle that he bought at auction with the crew. Fortunately, the guy passed away a year before that planned anniversary but just again think about like he wanted to buy this bottle he wanted to flex and showcase it at his restaurant but he wanted to then share it with the people that meant the most to him i was like oh my god like as i was reading the story i was like it better not it better not no (laughs) (laughs) which brings full circle to open that bottle at night i mean because You know, what I mean, a brilliant idea. We had Rob Long who wrote for Cheers and he was a executive producer and he said like the the whole concept of him of like, you know, com- once you buy the bottle converting it to money makes no sense. Mm. Um and you know, he's like, "Oh no, you know what? This is only a $23,500 bottle <laughs> night and this I paid 25,000. <laughs> so I I can't open this tonight, right?" And like you're holding that bottle, right? And you paid at auction and and that's such a yeah, like we're just – it's not promised, you know. And going to the wine, so when I think Sonoma Coast Pinot um, – Talk it, to me, MJ. It is – it's strawberries and pine needles uh, or conifer would be the oh, pretentious term. Thank you. Um, and conifer now, to yeah. my and, and when we started, this was like – it had that cranberry pomegranate. But now I'm really getting wild strawberry. Mm, me too. And pine needles. You know, and it's a – you know, it's good. It's delicious. <clears throat> Um, so back to travel. Sorry, yes. I keep no, going no, no. back. This is what we do here. So my one of my guys from my New York City wine crew uh, knew I was going over to London. I was going for a, something I normally wouldn't do, but I was going to see the Spice Girls 
at Wembley Stadium on their reunion tour like three, four years ago. I mean, I have a daughter who's 33. Like, I had to find a sp- Wait, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I remember having going all over the city trying to find her Spice, Spice Girls doll anyway. So, oh. come on. I mean, like, pop, that's the thing about pop music. Everybody likes it. I don't give a who the fuck you are. Like everybody likes it. That that it it, it, it the just best. you know. So tell me what you want. So I mean, the Spice Girls at Wembley twenty fifth. I mean, come on. So yeah. So it was there. They hadn't toured together in forever, and yep. they were doing just the UK at the time. And so they were doing this sold out tour all over the UK. And the last shows were at Wembley Stadium in London. And so I was going. I think literally maybe Thursday to Sunday or Thursday to Monday. So a very quick trip. My friend Rich from my New York City wine crew said. Sharon, when you're in London, you have to go to Hedonism Wines. I'm like, you know, I'm only there for a few days. I've got a lot to do. I don't have time to go to a wine store. He goes, Sharon. Said no one ever. <laughs> if you if you go, I promise you, you'll thank me. I could live at this store for hours. This is the most incredible wine store I've ever seen in my life. And... Basically, the story what I googled was that a Russian billionaire. That's that's the have one. Have you heard of hedonism? What with the fucking Sinquanon room, like Sinquanon room, and a, a locked cave for DRC. Yeah. That I asked the guy, "Can you please let me in there?" And he put the key in the big lock. Yeah. He opened it up. I walked in there. I was like, "It was like Pulp Fiction." Remember, they used to open that suitcase. Like, what's in that thing? It was just like the gold light came out. I never showed you. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So. And what was great, and I can never remember the name of this device, but that thing that you can put a bottle of wine and it it punctures the hole in it, and you you can serve like an ounce. Of yeah, it. I'm not going to say the name because I reached out to them for sponsorship, but I know the device you're talking about. <laughs> but, but not the device, but the actual. It's it's a whole like wall, a big like refrigerator that you can put like twenty. Oh 30 yeah, bottles. yeah. Oh that thing. Yeah. Not, for, the, I, not the C thing, but yeah, the yeah. this thing. I, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of wine bars. Yes, exactly. Have that now, so you can have premium wine. Exactly. On so, tap, basically. Thank you. So they have about thirty bottles that. Oh my. They've got some Synchronon, they've got some ice wine, they've got like these 40-year-old bottles in there that you buy a card, you put in, like I put in like 50 pounds, and then all of a sudden like an ounce could be 50 pounds. Some were 10, some were 5, some were 2, and then I was like, I gotta try that one. But anyway, so it had the wall, it had the Synchronon room, with, and it was beautifully decorated. Like they have these little like ceramic hands coming out of the wall with bottles displayed on yeah, it. And I've then the case, yeah. So I ended up going. And then also the, like from the roof, there's like thousands of wine glasses displayed and hung. So it looks like a chandelier. It's just the greatest store ever invented. So love that store. Then I, when I Googled more, found that they also have a restaurant down the street that their wine list is the store. So anything you'd ever want, you they'd run down and get it. And this restaurant now in the last year I've been to three times. <laughs> and I wish I, – I, I, I looked on Instagram and I saw his name, but he's like Eastern European, so I can't remember it because it's not a normal name. This guy three times served me and just brought me the most beautiful pairings with everything I ordered. Because I, I, I never like getting 
like a full entree sometimes. I like getting a lot of little stuff. Yeah, like tapas style because then you, yeah. get, you, get, to, you get to experience more wines. And that, especially yeah. in a restaurant. So their restaurant hide is just out of this world. And so every time he's done something, so every time I come, I'm like, whatever his name is, I'm like, I want to make sure you top yourself from last time. He's like, okay, I'm going to try. And so <laughs> and then he'd bring me something. Oh, God, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, yes, I love traveling. I love experiencing. Another uh, great restaurant that I had gone to in Paris was uh, Spring. Daniel Rose, who has Le Cuckoo in New York, he had he had never opened an, uh, an American restaurant. He's from Chicago, mm. a chef from Chicago. His first restaurant was in Paris, and I'd read about it. It's called Spring. I couldn't get a reservation the first few trips I'd taken. Finally, I got a reservation, and I went and I did the, and it was just, it's like a very rustic restaurant, but the food was fantastic. And the, the sommelier was doing a pairing and I was with my family and no one else was doing a pairing. I was like, I got to do the pairing. And I found out again through Google that Jonathan, who was the sommelier, was like the France sommelier of the year. And the pairings for every dish were just so fantastic. So just food and wine. I just love experiencing it. I mean, if, even if it was in a dive bar, like I'm all about just the experience mm-hmm. and having that memory. And it could be EMP. It could be, you know, Joe Schmo's dive bar. I just, I love those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, uh, we're coming up on the time. Um, now, no. I know, I know, I know. Um, what are you working on now? Because you made a pivot in your own career recently, right? I have, yeah. yes. So I th- think when we were able to kind of be with our own thoughts in 2020 and kind of something I had mentioned earlier is I somehow have gotten really inspired by Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. And he had mentioned something on one of his posts that said, if you're not living there, if you're not living your passion – what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it stuck with me. And I thought, I love music. I love everything about it. I love helping artists. I love breaking artists. I love um, contributing to um, everything that they're doing. But I also love looking at the future and technology and tech and NFTs and marketing and branding. So I started my own company last year, Daster Venture. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm working on an artist development company. I'm working with some really good friends that, uh, have been in the industry a long time where we're really taking artists that we, we feel confident and have the talent, but they just need the right producers, songwriters, exposure, social media platforms. You know, it's about building their brands, but I'm also something that, you know, in the future, you will be on. I, I'm doing a podcast called Deeper Dives, which is just about branding and your brand and and how everyone is their own brand and how you maximize that. Um, also working with, with a, a UK company, Global, which has radio brands all over the UK, but also working with radio around the world just because it's just my specialty. And I feel like if I can share... M- any wisdom or knowledge that I've built over the years, great. Um, and then also one thing that I've been dying to do 
pretty much my whole career and, and getting to do is music supervision for film and television. Mm. Like I feel like, you know, you read a script and you visualize the scene, like what kind of sound would be great there? What would be a good music that would go there? And, um, you know, just continuing to build. Uh, it's only been, it hasn't even been a year yet. And it's it's been really exciting. And just, again, living your passion, doing things that I've been fortunate to be able to do things that I feel I can really contribute to and and do really well because I've I've done it for so long and and yeah it's 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 been it's been an exciting year I have to say that's awesome so uh, to recap if you had to pick one bottle that really started all for you what would it be <sighs> give me a second. I would have to say a friend of mine, a great friend of mine, John Brett, he loves, he's a huge wine guy, has a huge collection and loves celebrating the year with his close friends. So he takes us to an annual like Christmas dinner in the city. We've done La Bernadette a couple times. We've done Le Cuckoo. We've done like amazing restaurants and he Brought this close Sahun. Mm. Riesling. Riesling to La Bernadette that I, I'm sorry, he didn't bring it, he ordered it. And it was one of those things that I'll never forget because again, it was just obviously the surroundings of being in La Bernadette were incredible. The beautiful fish presentation, every single dish, and then this bottle was just one of those things you just never forget, and it was, it was amazing, and that's probably the bottle that I would say. Oh my God, love it, love it, love it, love it, Sharon. Do we have to go? Uh, you you <laughs> you can come back anytime. Okay. Plus, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna woos we're gonna do some dinner stuff there. Excellent. Yeah. Gotta get you a Riesling study as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, Sharon, thank you so much for um, taking time out of your busy schedule to come here and be with me and share these amazing wines and the stories and just your presence. We're so thankful. Um, Sharon Daster, real boss babe, real life boss babe. All right. I had the best time. Thank you yeah. so much. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Uh, just, I'd say Instagram, at Sharon Daster, D-A-S-T-U-R. And actually, best fucking wine Instagram name. Oh, yeah. Shout that out. <laughs> like, for all you, everybody's like, in wine, she, she's she got, listen when you hear this. The Grape Gram. Boom. Sh- shout out to my girl, Brittany Greenbaum, who, who came up with that name. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, when you go to dinner, you always take a picture of the exactly. bottle. I have so many of them on my phone. They're like, you should start your own Instagram. <laughs> Brittany. The Grape Graham. <laughs> Check it out. The Grape Graham. There you go, everybody. And for all you guys who have been listening since the beginning, for all you guys who are new, um, please don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you find the info in the wine we drink, uh, links to the cool things we discussed uh, in the show. You'll also find her links. So make sure you check that out. Everybody, until the next time, it's your boy MJ. This is to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, the wine thinkers, wine thinkers. The wine thinkers and and the the wine drinkers. It's your boy MJ. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. 
please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.